I'm still not. I'm still not priced where I should be, to be honest. Well, of course not. Berlin. That, Berlin. <laughs> so, would you kindly tell us your name and where we are? Where are we? That's such a good question. Um, my name is Hannah Joy Graves, but I practice Taro as cult mother. And so here we are in my home studio, Cult Mother HQ, the ivory Taro tower. But I'm gonna shut the window. It's actually the tower, you're literally on the top. Yeah. And I forget every time I come, I'm like, God damn. Five flights of stairs. <laughs> Well, it's, obviously when I first set up the space, it was really with the intention of being able to sit here and um, invite people for readings, but now I don't invite, I don't do any in-person reading. I just left a meeting and then I said, I was coming to your house and they're yeah. like, you're going to Hannah's house? I was like, oh, I am going to Hannah's house, but I think it's, <laughs> it's Golden consensual. ticket, high privilege, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> it's consensual. The only people that come here is Amazon and... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a terrible thing to admit these days, isn't it? Well, I mean... Speed and, speed and convenience is be the, the end of us all. It's already been... It's, what a landslide. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, it, you know, uh, it, it's because I originally... And I'm sure this is something that you understand from the way that you tattoo as well. It's something that I really underestimated initially. The exchange the energetic nature of welcoming someone into your personal physical space, practicing in that. And then obviously when they leave where you are energetically, what happens to the space energetically. And I was not, I've just, I, I, I feel like I almost wandered into my practice ill prepared as an energy worker. Um, and so the first thing when I first started to suffer from that, that I, I, I put kind of boundaries in very quickly was around my physical space and, and how much time I can spend here without feeling disturbed, <laughs> if that makes sense. It's true. It also, you also have a healthy compartmentalization of your home. Like you actually have a space that's dedicated to this mm -hmm. practice. That, that was deliberate and I wish that it, I had stuck to it because <laughs> the plan was to have this space where I work and then to come out of this space, use the living room or the lounge area to kind of relax and have downtime outside of my practice. Um, one thing I've been quite good at is having like a sleeping room that's just sleep and I try to have a bit of sleep hygiene around like not having the laptop in there and I don't watch TV and stuff in there but I actually used to walk past this place on the corner here and late at night, there was always a guy in there watching TV on his laptop, like in the dark alone, eating dinner off the desk. And I remember always being like, oh my God, that's so sad. And I spend most evenings in an office chair watching TV on my laptop, eating my dinner off my desk. <laughs> I mean, I noticed today, I was like, oh, you actually have a comfortable chair, which is absolutely mandatory. Yeah, I, this was something that I, I, I can spend eight to 10 hours a day in Zoom. So I'm spending eight to 10 hours sat on my ass. And if I'm going to be doing that, I need to be sitting in a big squishy comfy chair. Totally. So, so even like the, the ability to roll, like as a tattooer, I remember mm -hmm. being in some places where there, the chairs are static and you're like, I get it. But it, like micro movements are so important to stay comfortable. Well, I also um, zip over to this desk and I'll have to plug into a second monitor to do like admin -y type stuff. And then I'll 
this this is where I, the, I have this table where I this is just for card reading. Yeah. And I just read at this table with my laptop, but then when I move into kind of like admin work in the background, I'll zoom over there. So. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know what it makes me think of though? It makes me think of that Disney Pixar movie Wally. Oh yeah. Where everyone's just no. I feel like one of the (laughs) people sat in the office chair just with screens. I don't remember that. I just remember Wally being a bit of a robot or something. Yeah, it's a bit of a robot, but it's a comment on uh, people have had to leave Earth because we've completely spoiled it, and everyone's living in a spaceship, but they're immobile. They don't walk around or run around. They are all just in floaty office chairs. On devices not interacting with so each other like at now. all. So like, yeah, like my like now. <laughs> at least you're doing that at a place that you put all of your love into. Like every, it was a while ago that you stopped kind of renovating, but you you are someone who continues to cultivate your environment. I'm I'm still renovating. Uh, I I got depressed and started to paint my bedroom black, and then realized I've made a terrible mistake. But I'd overcommitted by putting a black blob on every wall. <laughs> so it was like waking up in a raw shack for like six months. And then I decided to like tape it off and make it like a gallery wall. So I'd put a lot of colour on it. And But then the other colour was wrong. So now I'm trying to change that. So yeah, yeah. I, it, I guess it's like most things in my life or my life itself right now. It's a work in progress. It's just a work in progress. I mean, before hitting the point where you actively made your life in work in progress, it was anyhow, you know, but in a different direction. Mm. Is that something that you're comfortable talking about with? Me? Yeah, yeah, totally. Recovery? Yeah, always. Yeah, I feel always. Much. I didn't want to assume, but... Yeah. Mum's um, the word. Yeah, no, it's, I, I think it's always that thing for me of... Um, I like to be able to acknowledge... Um, especially with the work that I do today, the fact that it's not me, you know, that I'm hugely influenced um, by a lot of other people, people that have come before me, my recovery, my work in recovery, you know, the, the spiritual aspect of my life. And so the core of my practice is something that I was able to have, was granted access to, that I've had access to. And that I'm continuing to learn and grow in myself all the time. Not that, you know, because when you create a brand and you're cult mother, and you create that kind of like, um, for me, and I think most of the people I work with regularly or people that are in the cult understand how tongue in cheek that is. It's really was very deliberately tongue in cheek. It was very deliberately me taking a deliberate run at a lot of, uh, spiritual spaces where there's a lot of gatekeeping. It's very middle class. It's very, cause I had had experience of that. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, I think it's always really important for me to be like, hey, these are the certain threads or themes in my own life that I've woven into this and I want to pay my dues to that or be aware of that wherever possible. Even it kind of feels like it comes clear in the shirt that you decided to make. Like mm-hmm. you understand where your influences and your roots are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, yeah. The... It's tough because I'm at this point now where I'm even thinking about, like, uh, rebranding, you well, know? Fair enough, but this Master of Reality mm-hmm. cult mother thing, like, you're not the first <laughs> to do that, of course, but, like, cult mother, like, there's been no band that's fucked with the, yeah. that's pertinently yeah. aligned with how important. Yeah, this Black Black Sabbath riff. Um, The thing is with that, like, this is what I'm saying, though. I talk about, and, and in the coaching that I do with people, I talk about the importance of running your business intuitively. 
you know, and I was in the shower one morning, which is where I do all of my intuitive thinking, it seems, connected to this water element, literally, and I was like, oh man, master of reality, but it's master of clarity, (laughs) right? Imagine that on a t-shirt, kind of like, and it may, and then I, was, I and I do this thing where I'm like, that's something that needs to be made. It's an idea that's come to me. I want to work with that. And the one that I've got in the works at the moment is there's that iconic photo of Keith Richards in a t-shirt that says, who the fuck is Mick Jagger? So I'm going to do who the fuck is Cult Mother in exactly the same font. This kind of whole 70s vibe that everyone's on right now. So. Well, you, your mane is looking quite... Yeah, mullet. You're back into the mullet. Were you, are you going to see... Brian? No, I don't think I've ever... Uh, um, maybe like a faux hawk. I think I definitely you like definitely did that. Yeah, I've always had the emo sweep though, the like the fringe Mandatory, voice. Just there. like the shirt today. Yeah, my chemical romance sweepy fringe, two thousand and one forever. Have you been to Brian for a haircut yet, or are you? To who? Brian, who you would know via rooms. Yeah, I'm. You might have crisscrossed, but I mean not the same room. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. But is a wonderful uh, finder of the right trim for the right person. Oh, I love that. I love that. No, I'm, I'm, I found a real badass uh, stylist, uh, Anna, who uh, is a good friend of mine, who I'm utterly in love with this cut. That's what you need. Yeah, it's well, it's this idea of collaboration, and I think that's probably <laughs> like your head with this person's scissors. No, no, it's this idea, and I hey, this is kind of like this is something you brought into the way that you tattoo as well, right? Like, and and it's important to me in my work. How do we center the client and their experience in our practice? Like, we're tradespeople, right? We're tradespeople. I'm a tradesperson. I'm a craftsperson, and it's the same with cutting hair. What I love about Anna is the fact that you sit there, and it isn't. I'm going to do my job now. It's, oh, I, what do you think about this bit here? Just run your hands through it for me. Okay, cool. I'm just going to take a step back for a minute and let you touch it. I think this could be shorter here, but you might also want to think about this. It was like that. It was like creating something together. I felt involved in the process. And I, I also like love the fact that I know my hair. I've had a lot of haircuts. Like, and a, a lot of the time I feel like people don't listen to me. When I'm like, it's very thick. I have a widow's peak and a very low hairline at the back, all this kind of stuff. And, and she was really listening. Yeah. How did you, did you, I can only imagine you met this person through Instagram via your presence. Uh, friends of friends running in the same circle, the, all of Music the or? coolest rock and roll kids, okay. actually via um, Blackfisk tattoo and that, and that circle, so. Are they open again, I hope? Yeah, 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 I think so. I guess so. things have sh- shaken up there now, there's spiderweb on the other end of... Yeah, I mean, I I think this is the cool thing with traditional tattooing, though, is that there's always going to be people who want really good, solid, traditional tattoo work. So I definitely like to believe there's room at the table for everyone, especially in Berlin. Hopefully when we get the tourists back, there'll be a... So hopefully an inkling. You know, I've watched this, like, slow progression of, like, oh, shit, there's more than, like, you can Mm. see maps out and... You see more people on rented bikes and things. Well, yeah, but the, it's kind of like, you know, as as we were chatting about, I think there's still this... It's almost like it's either people trying to make the most of it while they can, the fact that people know that they can't continue to put their lives on hold because this could just be the new normal for the foreseeable now, you know, for the yeah, rest sure. of our lives, yeah. you know, something we have to take into account. 
And I don't know, it's like me, it's like I really love to do some travel and I don't know whether I'm being overly cautious, but I think for me there's also an aspect of what will other people think. Yeah. Because there is still a, like, you know, there's people... Yeah, there's huge stigma, there is. It's kind of like, I'd love to go to London and do some work. And I did a poll, I even asked people on Instagram, I was like, "Should should I do a blast and go to the UK and, you know, read Taro in Highgate Cemetery over Halloween? And people were like, no, girl, it's a pandemic. Keep your ass in Berlin. Why would you fly to a hotspot for COVID right now? Well, the answer for that for you is that your folks just moved. Well, yeah, they're in the process of they're in the process of moving. So I would, I, it's like the romantic in me likes the idea of going back there, visiting where my grandparents were from, being at that house and having an opportunity to kind of Mm. say goodbye to that because obviously I I grew up on the south coast of the UK um, and spent 10 years there before moving to Berlin um, and like you know the the bulk part of my 20s so it's I go back to Southampton and I see certain people that I used to run around with at Christmas just because I'm at home visiting my parents and the fact that I won't have that in future the reality is it's very unlikely that I will go back there my brother is in Southampton (laughs) I would say that I do have a brother there but these family occasions he would likely also be sure with my parents so it's like that 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 tie feels like it's being cut it's like a cord cutting that's in process that's real positive but i i feel like being here and having been still for a year it's either a case of continuing to kind of ground in or go and knock some dust off and i don't know can't decide it doesn't seem too extreme though like for you doesn't feel like you're swinging from one it feels like you're in the middle like you're, you're willing to let it be and and this untethering sounds healthy too like yeah because it's outside of your control the idea that your folks are leaving southampton and going yeah exactly i mean it's definitely i'm really happy for them and the progress that they're making in their lives i'm excited to explore northern ireland um you know i've never been to belfast but i really you know i spent time in southern ireland as a kid and the awareness of that divide is something that's always been there for me. And it's, uh, the history of that country had an impact on me as a young person. Like the fact that you can go to Dublin in the south and touch the bullet holes in the columns of the general post office. Where, you know, the Irish were trying to fight British colonialism, really, when we call it what it, what it is. Um, and being in the south you know, living miles, just a few miles from where Michael Collins, who signed the treaty that gave the south of Ireland independence from British rule, was born, and then also subsequently killed, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's a, I feel like it's a really important part of my, the things that I started to be shaped or informed by as a kid, you know, like politics and rebellion, and I didn't yeah, really... Yeah, definitely. The music definitely is a big part, but also like, you know, being a Brit and being dropped in Ireland and then not really wanting to be British, getting some insight into why that would be. Because I think when you grow up in the UK, you do First World War, Second World War. You never look at the history of the empire. You never learn about British colonialism. It's really, it's a, it's a travesty that that is the case. And there's a lot of ignorance mm. around the sort of bloody history of the British Isles. Um, so to have the opportunity to be a British kid as stressful as it was for me to be in the south of Ireland, where that is still so apparent and still so talked about, um, and also un- start understanding religion and the impact that religion has in the north-south divide and kind of Catholicism and uh, Catholics and Protestants as well. And just, you know, as a child, you're like, I just don't understand. 
you know. Were you given a lot of grief due to your accent? 100%, yeah. Yeah, it's just obvious. You open your mouth and you're like, oh, you're. Oh, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's kind of like I, I, I completely understand where my mum and dad were at. But when you take kind of a British kid who is no of no fixed religion, and put them in an Irish Catholic convent school, even as late as the you know the nineties, wasn't I wasn't gonna ever have the easiest time. Is that what happened? Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, my my mum and dad moved to the south of Ireland and uh, yeah I had to had to go to school there and the school there was a Catholic school run by nuns so you punked Uh, well I I just I was a really good kid actually I was a really I was a really I was head girl at my school I was head prefect I had the Oxbridge letters you know like I was a real brown noser I always had real good grades. I was very well behaved. I was every teacher's pet. So like, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. I loved school. I loved school. This is the kid that when I went on a school trip to Canterbury Cathedral when I was still in the UK, so we're talking like six, seven years old at most, mm-hmm. um, I got obsessed with the history of Canterbury Cathedral and did took it upon myself to do this big project and started researching and, you know, drawing diagrams and just got, was fascinated with history. And that's always been, that's part of why I love Tara so much is because it's got, we've got no known precise point of origin and you've got so many different traditions and historical points or perspectives woven in there that you can never really stop exploring. It gets very Dan Brown territory, you know? I don't know Dan Brown, but you've always... The Da Vinci Code. Oh, okay. Yeah. The person who wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you are definitely a sponge person, you know? And I think yeah. you did, at least when I met you, you were doing your best to, like, uh, it seemed, uh, not use that part of your self. Yeah, but you also kind of... still a tattoo nerd then, though. Yeah. You know, for someone who wasn't actually a tattooer to be that absorbed in the industry and know who people were and what they were doing and where they were and, you know... That's true, but I guess maybe that's one what I want to get at is then you were still doing that thing where you were perpetuating other people's... Oh, 100%. But then again, let's look at where I'm at now. Because yeah. you look at where I'm at now and you're like, finally, I've broken the cycle of only facilitating other people's kind of... Uh, creativity or I am a facilitator yeah, that's what I teaching. do yeah. that's what my practice is it's to be you're giving other people yeah exactly but it's still a support role yeah but in a motherly way in a very matriarchal way no yeah who saw that coming <laughs> <laughs> but again that's why cult mother like that whole thing was was a real uh, I think it was a throwaway comment that Tommy made about me being like cult mum in the way that I will organise certain things or, like, you know, be designated driver these days and how what a turn up for the books that was. And I was like, that's so good. Like, old <laughs> mother. It, oh, my God, I love this. And it just... it, but It's because it was funny. It was because the idea of me being the person that could be relied upon or that I was the person that would be able to hold space for other people. Like, I could even shut the fuck up for a minute to let other people fucking tell me who they are and where they're at in their experience. Hilarious. <laughs> well, I mean, like we had a a pause, a long pause, for mm. some years, a couple. Yeah, time flies. Yeah, and then I saw you again in a space in which I just let you be, and I was like, oh shit. I was, I think that I think things was, are changing. I think there was a couple of people around here who had a kind of oh shit moment when I showed up in those spaces, but it was definitely not oh shit, but like time. <laughs> I was like, it was humbling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if there's one thing that I have 
learned, and I've learned a lot at this point, I'm actually grateful that I get to be at a point where I reflect on a lot of different things, that I'm like, wow, it's kind of cool, I have awareness around that now, but um, if there's one thing that I've learned, it's to allow life to move in these phases, especially in relationship to other people, you know, sure. like, to, to take distance or space and then allow for, like, some natural evolution or progression where both of those people can allow for it too, I guess that's where the work is, I think is super cool. You know, like, every every best friend dynamic I've ever hi- tried to have, I feel like I've utterly trashed. Isn't that the way? Yeah, it's almost as if I've done a lot of looking at it, and I'm like, is it just because people get too close, and then it's too much, and I have to yeah. pull back, or, like, I don't know. I is don't it know one person recovery, not the other? Yeah, sometimes, absolutely, I think there's that, there's that dynamic. Really? Yeah. It gets harder, but sometimes, I don't know, I think it's really hard for us, because you there's definitely pros and cons to having, you know, like, it's so important to have friendships with other people in recovery, absolutely, but I also wouldn't want to have a life where the only friendships I have with people in recovery, because I think sometimes we can fall into the trap of over-pathologizing things and only only seeing things through a certain framework, and then having the other, the perspective of other people and the way that they are, you know, instead of being like, well, they don't have tools, maybe they have like a different set of tools. Maybe they're able to apply things in a way that you don't. And that's cool, too. Um, I guess what I'm saying is it's that whole just letting people who be who they are has been like the biggest thing for me. Hmm. Just letting people be who they are and not feel the need to be on the sidelines with my superiority complex trying to fix manage control the entire time. Yeah, but if you just did this. <laughs> my first contact with you was... Uh, probably a big surprise. I called the shop. Best thing that you ever did, right? <laughs> it really. It, really. Well, you opened the door. I mean, I yeah. was moving here. Yeah. Had the intention to work there. So smart. So smart. Because I literally used to get 10 emails every day from people. Yeah, and I was one of those people. Yeah. And I had a friend or whatever. Those, and I, I every, every, those emails. <laughs> yeah. Well, fair enough. You know, like, there's... Something to be said for taking the next step, but I didn't consider that I'd call Germany to be like, assumedly speaking to another English speaking person. I remember it caught me completely off guard and then I was so impressed with the initiative. And that's one thing that has always impressed me and it's actually how a couple of people got a foot in the door in that studio when I was at the helm. Yes, you were. Um... And I think it's very important to say that no decision that I made was ever, you know, it was all, it always had to be supported by John and where John was in his vision for the studio. Um, but I'm I'm glad I had so much trust to be like, I've met this person, I think there's potential, what do you reckon? Well, because you, you said, hey, uh, it's crazy that you called, but we don't have a space, but you can come anyways. And I was like, <laughs> and then, you know, one thing leads to another. I was thinking then, I was thinking then of when uh, Bobby knocked on the door. And Bobby knocked on the door of the studio and stood there, bold as brass, and I don't think I'd opened yet, and if there's one thing I did not enjoy, it was being disturbed before I'd opened, right? Absolutely. Um, and uh, was like, I am a tattoo apprentice, and I'm not interested in tattooing anywhere else. Wow. I looked me straight in the eye and went, I am not interested in tattooing anywhere else. I will mop the floor, I will do all of the cleaning, I'll be here at any time you tell me to be here. I don't want to tattoo anywhere else. I only want to tattoo here. And I went, I'm holding the door, like literally like, come in. <laughs> I mean, you come just, in. Sometimes when people would send an email and they'd send their photos, you'd 
Because I remember when McKelly sent an email mm. saying, hey, I'm, John said that it'd be great, be okay if I came from London. Mm. You showed us McKelly's work. And mm. you also showed us, you ended up showing us, I remember, the people who I connected the most with. You mm. remember you showed us Mateo's work. I remember you showed us Henrik's work mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to kind of see what the, what, mm. what the temperature was like. And I remember one person who said, this person's kind of in your wheelhouse. And I don't remember who it was. Uh, but it doesn't matter because they showed mm. up and they totally just crushed it. Worked. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing, and I'll say this, and I think it's been important for me as I've stepped out of that industry and I kind of look at it now to, to kind of take pride in some of the wins for me. And what I would say is I had a good eye for fucking good tattooing. Like, I did have a good eye for clean tattooing, and I like to think that I also could spot people who at least understood what I had kind of grown through, like, in being adjacent to or managing studios, which was... There was also like a quality that was expected of you as a human, that it wasn't okay for you to be all ego and conduct yourself in a certain way. Like, you know, that a certain amount of humility goes a really fucking long way, I think, in, in that trade. And so for me, it was always cool to have people send um, their work, but it was always that thing of like trying to find the right blend with AK having so many artists not too many people doing the same kind of style, so they tread on each other's toes, keeping guests interesting enough one month to the next, that it was keeping people engaged. It was always like a bit of a challenge, but generally if I thought you were cool and you did what I would call clean tattoo work, as in you'd clearly spent enough time in the trenches that you could pull clean lines and do a decent tattoo, then great. But also if you were fresh, and dirty, but had that intangible magic quality in the style being something I hadn't really seen before. And Michele was one of those for me. And Carlo, I guess. Yeah, Carlo. Oh my God, let's talk about Carlo. And where Carlo's at now is unbelievable. Un- one of the best tattoo artists going, um, you know. And I the did amount, not see that coming. An absolute powerhouse in terms of finding their style and their stride and putting their hallmark and their stamp over it in a way that is so uniquely theirs, but that also pulls in so many traditions and just puts a twist on it. Like when we look back at kind of, there was a shop around the corner from me here that had all these boards off of the wall of a 90s tattoo studio. We're talking big old flash boards with tribal wizards, a lot of naked girls, you know, like, and I was like, these belong in a fucking museum. These are amazing. I talked to, to, I've called Philippe, talked to the guys at AKA, not really, I get it, it's really not their jam. Um, and then I realized a lot of them had gone missing because the woman dragged me in there to be like, hey, what do you think of these? And I was like, don't let these go cheap. Like, these are worth money. The, you know? the shop flipped over and then they had these boards? Yeah, they're like a trodel art and like a junk oh, store. Shit. So they, they, she went, hey, look at these. And I had like 30 huge boards that would have been on the wall of some studio, you know, like buy it, pin it up pick it off the wall, numbered, you know, all the Zodiac signs and all that, all of that kind of stuff that's worked its way into the style of stuff like Carlo's doing, you know, like that early 90s, almost like neo-trad, wild colour palette. Um, and I went over to visit Spiderweb for the first time in the past couple of weeks because I realised I hadn't been over there. And they had them. And they had them. They had the whole lot, all up, the, all in the desk in there. I said to Mara, I was like, I know where you got these. I know where you got these. And I'm so glad you got them. I can't believe I didn't think to call any of you boys because they fit. Like, that is a really, really great looking studio. 
It's wild. It's so good. It's so it good. It smells like like the whole the, every sense is like correct. It's so clean. The colors, the quality of the flash, the family thread in the fact that the flash on the walls. I know for a fact. I can be like, I know you work with this person. I know you have that. I know you boys are real connected to this studio in Spain. It's kind of like I love that because I've always loved that. I think that's the thing with me. And probably the cool thing for me getting to be at AKA is like AKA obviously set out to diversify people's perception of the standard tattoo shop, the way that you would be greeted, the way that it looked, the way that greeted, it... yeah, 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 totally, yeah, with the locked door, yeah. So, <laughs> it's such. It That's was... the first thing I changed. It's the first thing I changed. It was a smart move, and it also the fact that German doors lock, but yeah, but it also gives the impetus even more so for the person that wants to get in there mm. to really commit I mm. think you mm. know, even if you're just walking or whatever you're just like so many people would nearly not I guess it out. also gives you the impression that it's safe from the inside which is really important super important yeah but having said that I am still here for the kind of like open door po- swinging the trad tra- fucking shops and that's because my first tattoo I got in a shop called Tattoo Magic on Shirley High Street in Southampton that had like a big like sequin spangle sign that smelled of death hole and yeah. people were smoking and there were dogs asleep on the floor. You know what I'm saying? Like, I do. And you could only pick it off the flash. I wonder how many tattoo magics there are because there's a tattoo magic in Melbourne. That's yeah. I'm, I'm, what just, I'm so glad that I was 15 <laughs> and wandering into tattoo magic. And tall enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, right? How and did you get... How did you... Is, what, was it, has there ever been a 16 limit? Or is it always an 18? It's 18 in the UK, yeah. yeah. Eight, I think I was 17, actually. I think I was 17 when I got my first did tattoo. Did you bother showing them fake ID, or they just said yes? No, I don't think I bothered with a fake ID, but I definitely, obviously, like you said, with my stature and the fact that I was already, like, a little nightmare, I definitely would have passed for... I was passing for 18 when I was 15. I think I celebrated my 21st birthday in a nightclub in Southampton when I was 17. So, like, you know, I, it, that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, Hannah? What? Yeah. But I, I got a lot of tattoos off of the first person who tattooed me there. Um, Dave, really, 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 really lovely guy. Um, the, the piece on my forearm was, like, a Joe Capabianco, like piece like I was always super super stoked and I mean I remember Valentin Hirsch being a grade A uh brick what's the nice word I love Valentin I love him but I think he's the first person to admit that if he's grumpy he's pretty grumpy um and I remember just standing obviously getting to what people have to understand about when I went to work at AKA is that I used to sit in a piece of shit tattoo shop a tiny shop in the south coast of UK on Tumblr, retumbling pictures of work by people like Valentin Hirsch. I had photos of John John on my Tumblr before I'd been here and met John John. You know, like I was so into tattooing, like I just got so, like that nerd in me, like you said, you know, like that sponge thing. I thought it was just the coolest thing. And, um, so yeah, when I obviously came over to AKA and being in that studio, I was 27, green as fuck, had no idea what I'd really let myself in for. Um, but I remember one day standing in the doorway there and I remember Valentin looked at me and he was like, Hannah, you know what? I really hate all of your tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) He just looked at me, you know, like, you know, that like under the hat slight door. Yeah. Like the, and I, I, but it was always in good fun. Like it was always very playful. 
Um, but I stood there and I was like, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. I look, this arm looks like it's been sent in a TARDIS from the 90s, you know? But I was like, dude, what you need to know and understand is that none of these people would be wandering up in here getting their whole half-sleeve pre-planned piece of fucking black work from you right now today if it hadn't been for people like me and all of the people before me that were wandering into studios that smelled of Dettol and cigarette smoke picking flash off the walls. So shut the fuck up. Yeah, tattooing didn't start then. No. I was getting tattooed in fucking 2001, dude. Like, I moved here in 2012. I've been getting tattooed for 12 years. Where, if you, where did you come from? Art school? Shut up! <laughs> I ran into Val in Corona time, some more, maybe about a year ago, like this kind of season. And I saw Val walking and I was like, maybe Val didn't see me. <laughs> you know, and I was like, maybe, mm. maybe I won't say hi, maybe I won't even. Mm. Like, you know, I don't know where we are and it also doesn't matter because we had time together and it was the time that was meant to be. Mm. And I was like, fuck it, I'll say hi. We had a really nice conversation. Yeah, it was amazing. It was also amazing helpful that it was human. fully in German. I think. Wow. Like, I think Val probably, because that was something that wasn't in my wheelhouse then. Yeah, of ago. course. And, uh, but Val's, basically, Val's the same. Yeah. You can trust that Val's the same. Yeah. Except maybe there's another child. Well, we, um, I went and interviewed him for the, for the book, because I wanted um, Philip to come and take photos of him. And actually, I think... The photos of you, obviously I'm, I think the images that we got for that book that I commissioned are the best because that's who I am, um, but all credit to Philip, but um, I wanted there to be some sort of consistency in the book and so shooting people as and where we could really made sense to me and having portraits of people as well as their work I've always found really interesting. I think it's because I grew up buying Tattoo Magazine off of the top shelf with the porn mm-hmm. when it was wrapped in plastic and it used to feature people that's what that's where all this reality tv tattoo kind of stuff came from in the first place it used to feature collectors as people and have a portrait of them and then talking about the tattoos that they had and from yeah, whom totally. and that was so cool <laughs> it's always been that human element and who these people are and why it's interesting to them for me so yeah we we did pictures of Valentine and there's a picture of him kind of laying on a shelf he's just sitting but with his feet up and he's got his head in both hands it's iconic it's an iconic image because the, the his emblem is in the glass behind him and he's just about like this I, I love it and then the photo that we took of um Batiste as well yeah I mean... uh, those guys on the couch in the studio with the bike on the wall I mean Gestalton turned around and they were like we're well, not going to use that image <laughs> lol <laughs> I was like it's Fucking the most uh, now tattoo moment trio of people in a Berlin warehouse full of mid-century modern furniture. Like, it's a moment in and of itself. I cannot... And I think that's when I realised we weren't maybe as aligned as I thought we were on the direction of that project, so... (laughs) I had high hopes that they wouldn't take the piss as they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think John got put through the ringer to do the first book? Um, no, I don't think John ever got, I I mean, I don't know whether John was the person that John was when I knew him because he'd been through the ringer a couple of times and had learned, which is where I'm at now. Yeah. You know? That's the thing. You know, but in my experience, John was a very, very savvy, uh, businessman and whenever people would come for a piece of that culture, which is essentially what they do, you know, um, he would always make sure that the price tag was attached to exactly where it should be. 
And I've, really I have so much respect for him for that. He was really helpful with when Philippe would get collaborations or Val would get collaborations with things. I remember they were, mm. they were always like, John, what do you think? And I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, don't. Uh, don't let them give you their first, second, or third offer, you know? No, I mean, this is something that obviously I thought about when um, I left AK. It's something that I thought about when I was there. I was like, this is a made, this is an industry-wide problem in the fact that artists consistently undervalue themselves. And when these huge brands and all of their money come for them, they're so flattered by the opportunity and then we grow up, obviously, in this culture that tells us that the exposure is the most valuable aspect, that they don't know how to come to bat for themselves. Yeah. And I was like, there needs to be, we're at the point where we need some sort of agency for marginalised artists. Which was going to be you. Yeah, totally. A pro- skateboarders well, you did as well. It. You did it prior. Well, did that's it. kind of was, yeah, I was like, this is a huge aspect of my job. Yeah. You know, I think it was running the vernissage for Dr. Martins that really made me realise that mm-hmm. I was, like, getting taken for a mug on both sides of the field, to be honest. But <laughs> boots got taken from... Yeah, I mean, yeah. Maybe yeah. that's nice for us. I... <laughs> um. <laughs> Bunch of fucking punks. <laughs> well, that's it. And yeah, and, and fair enough. Yeah, everybody got free shoes from that, as I remember. Yeah, everybody got to walk into the Doctor Martin shoes yeah. and pick out their own shoes. Like, but this is what I mean. You take a bunch of people working in one of the most successful tattoo studios in Europe, and let's call it what it was, right? Absolutely. And what it is, and um, tell them they can walk into the DM store in Berlin and pick out two pairs of shoes, and we're all like, oh my god. I got shoes from Dr. Mines. Have you any idea the value of that campaign? DM went to a PR firm. The PR firm approached AKA. So they were paying the company to make the content for them and create the moment. You know, when Maxine Ballesteros is coming in to fucking photograph an event, like, you know that it's... It's, it's a moment that's happening, that's being, there's fucking money there. There was so, and that's what I realized. I was like, I pulled the mobile bar out of cookies through my connection there. I organized a collab with our Berlin Vodka and Thomas Henry to do the drinks, organized the DJ, or like had, I put the event together on behalf of AKA. And where did the money go? The money went to the firm doing the promotion on behalf of Dr. Martins and Dr. Martins. And all of us were there going, I got a couple of pairs of free shoes. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. I'm sick of it. And somebody should be doing something. <laughs> well, talking about it is a big step. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going to start an agency and call it Fuck You, Pay Me. Yeah. Um, which is basically... But then I couldn't work out, you know, because that's something I'm also really aware of is that tattooers especially are very wary, quite rightly, of anyone from you know, outside of tattooing, taking a piece, you know, being in it for the cup. I'm like, hey, if as an agent I could get you double what they were going to give you in the first place and then you give me 20%, I feel like everyone's happy, you well, know? What about, where did Red Boots come in? Oh, uh, Red Boots was like... Um, before or after? That was before. Yeah, Red Boots I had for a few years. That was pre-AKA even, so... Um, or like in tandem with, cause I realized I was going to need to make more money than what I was getting paid. <laughs> so well, the way I started freelancing, that. writing content and stuff. So. Oh my gosh. The, yeah. the people that get taken advantage in a tattoo shop is just so palpable. Yeah. And I'm so ready to speak about that as well. I mean, here's the fucking tea, right? As much as, you know, I don't ever claim to have been perfect. I was front of house. Right, which included farming out the emails from people wanting tattoos to the tattooers that were working in the studio. 
dealing with people inquiring about doing guest spots, booking and promoting those guest spots, right? Let alone dealing with people wandering off, off the street, making inquiries and talking to them about their tattoos. Opening the door. Yeah, constantly, yeah. Constantly, every... Literally, I, well, then I had a buzzer installed because I'm smart. At one point, that's so smart. Yeah, by my desk. Me. Do you remember? I do, which is because before, you'd have been... Oh, uh, getting up and down every five minutes to open the goddamn door, yeah. yeah and then... But I wouldn't have been anywhere else. I loved it. It literally was like, the yeah. best. I, it's so exciting to me to be there. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity. But so yeah, I'm front of house. Then I'm a piercer. Yes, I'm running my own calendar and trying to run my own studio and my own kit and book appointments and manage my own income from my piercing. Right. Oh, and I'll curate the gallery and I'll book up the exhibitions, promote the exhibitions and actually organize and hold the vernissages as well. And then you look at it today and I remember it was actually, I think it was Rossa that said to me, Oh, honey. <laughs> yeah, how? Because now they have a curator, they have a manager, and yeah. they have a piercer. And that's exactly as it should have been, you know? So Some healthy compartmentalization for everyone involved. Yeah, and I guess, but it's also a case of, you know, I was there for five years, so there was also a lot of growth in that period. So, you know, it had to get to a point where that was also possible. Well, I mean, I don't know who else helped you, but I know I went to the store with you pretty much every day to go get the well, kitchen roll. We used to go to Per 4 to buy, like... I never lap sheets and shit. I've never been to perform, but we'd always walk up the way to go to etiquette to yeah. get the daily. Or sundries. like getting the supermarket trolley full of booze to do a vernissage. Yeah, you know? I wouldn't help you with that one. But. <laughs> I used to get some of those vernissages were absolutely wild, absolutely crazy. But yeah, obviously, like I wouldn't have changed a thing. But I think it's also. Uh, important for me it's very easy for me to look back and be like oh man I can't believe I tapped out I can't believe I couldn't handle it and obviously there are certain aspects of my life and my behavior I've had to look at in relation to that but also I was burnt out I was really burnt out I ran that business with my entire heart and soul for five years of my life that's half a decade you know and and I did get to a point where obviously with John being very ill as well like I was just yeah completely overwhelmed um, and, yeah. and at a point where I was like, if I don't, I was like, if I don't kind of remove myself from the situation, I think when I left, my hope was if I remove myself from, from this role, I'll get my hustle back. Like I'll get my mojo back. Like if I remove the safety net that has become coming in here day in, day out and this, or the stuff that I know and do, like it will kickstart like my own creativity or like some other angle or it was time to grow. It was just time to grow. And that's exactly what I told Val and John, you know, it's Which they understood. totally 100%. It was just really shitty timing. <laughs> it was just really shitty timing. It was never good timing. I remember having the conversation with you and John about me leaving. Yeah. And like, I just felt like I was gutted. I felt mm. so guilty mm. to, to move forward. Whatever. Yeah. Even lateral, it would have been, I would have, I felt it was a guilt, like shitty thing to do, but yeah, I mean, at the end, I was just sharing your little, like, what, three square meter <laughs> piercing room so I could be away from the... It's only when you go into AKA today that you realize, like, how much of a fucking mess it was on my watch, though. Like, this is the thing. When you take a 27-year-old, <laughs> fresh off the boat, who's doing her fucking... But, like, all, all I can say is that I only ever did my best. But when I look at it now, and it's so clean, and it's so, like, I'm like wow, it really has lost, it really feels like such a great professionally run as it should, you know, and I'm like, wow, things did kind of wild on my watch. (laughs) Well, how many times were we, did we get there and someone like lost the keys? Yeah. Like, that's a great example of like what can happen that just throws a a spanner in the 
Yeah, but I also think that, you know, it was also part of the appeal of that studio was that it was something a little bit different. It did feel like a partly inhabited home at the same time as a studio, which was part of the problem. And, you know, um, it did become a really, what I would say re reflectively, a very fertile space for a lot of incredibly fucking talented artists to come up and through very quickly. Since the beginning. Yeah, yeah. There's you like know. 20... Almost 30 people I can think of. And this is actually something um, Paul mentioned to me yesterday. He said to me, he was like, you know, uh, reflecting, we were talking about John and kind of John's legacy and, you know, the fact that he couldn't ever be forgotten by the sheer impact he had on so many people. The amount of connections that were made, the amount of opportunities that were opened. I, I was in a job once where I had no distinguishable role and someone said to me, I know what you are, your special glue. And I was like, what does that mean? She was like, you just kind of hold the whole thing together. You know, like nobody really knows what you do, but you're integral to gluing certain components. Where And, it, and John had a very, very similar quality to him, but it, with a better level of attraction, attracting the right things and then being able to put them, glue them together and bring them together. Great foresight yeah. as well. Incredible foresight. Oh my God. The amount of times where we would disagree because he'd be like, I've met this person, and I'm not going to name any names here, I've met this person and they're going to work at the studio and I'd be like, you've got to be fucking joking. Yeah. Right? Because it was out of that wheelhouse of what I said, you know, was my kind of benchmark where I'd be like, no. And this person would then blow up and be the next, num like, everybody is wanting to get fucking tattooed by them and I would be like, okay, that's another slice of fucking humble pie for me. But it talk about being, I don't, I can't, still can't decide whether that studio was like, very quick on the uh, uptake of trends as they emerged or whether or not they was, we were setting trends. You know, I still can't decide with hindsight whether or not certain things that would come up and you'd be like, really? And then you'd see it everywhere. And everyone would be emulating that or trying to do that style. Like, But it was also very easy to get in a bubble and it'd just be Berlin and like more European-based tattooing, I think, so. But I mean, so many, there's like, that, let's say that was the first generation, there was the second generation of AK, there was definitely the third, maybe even the fourth. So that means that all these people have been influenced in modern, current tattooing. Yeah, but it's like hand push, you know, because I know you're doing hand push tattoo. But for me, when I first started working at A in 2012, stick and pokes were for kitchen wizards. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like, people get fucking at stick and poke tattoos. And now you look at where we are with all of these, like... SoundCloud rappers, I know I sound like an old lady here or whatever, with these insane face tattoos where the main discernible quality of their face tattoos is that they all look like they were done in jail. Yeah. Right, that's where we are. Like, there's no, like, talking around that we've got to this point of, like, devolution where that seems to be the attract point of attraction. It's, it's erasing the perfectionism. It's like, yeah. and I mean, I know how I feel about it. It's interesting to me from, like, an anthropological perspective but it's very interesting to see like because i remember having someone like jenna boomer come through aka and me be like oh my god these are hand push tattoos what i because i hadn't even realized have you seen the back pieces i one of the most incredible watching there's certain people that i will never forget watching them tattoo because it was unfathomable obviously Gee was one of those i've never seen anyone pull lines I've never seen anyone pull lines like Gee pulls lines. Yeah, it's a pity, you know, what that was a big attraction for me to come was the Gee, Raph, Liam, Maxime, and by the time I got here, you decided that they weren't allowed back. 
Yeah, I mean, it's because they were all being dicks. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> I was really impressed, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, but that was John. And again, I this is the things that you hear later that you find out about through conversations with other people is that, you know, I landed, I was 27 and I was a fucking mess and um, was obviously going to participate in everything everyone else was doing because I wanted to be cool. And um, I got behavior that I didn't think fit with what my expectation was with how like I was saying tattooers were gonna were supposed to behave you know like and um and I remember saying to John I was like I'm coming in in the morning the place is a mess like there's a half-eaten croissant just fucking like left on the side you know and there's a lot of kind of chaos going on um and etc etc and then all I knew was that after a couple they came two three times there was a lot of stuff happened and you know like I said, this is just my, what I've heard. Um, apparently, John sort of said, hey, I've heard from Hannah that this is going on and I'm here to tell you it's not okay. And got, well, she's a mess. I wouldn't trust her as far as I could throw her sort of thing, you know. And John went, she works for me. She's my right hand. I trust her. And if you disrespect her, you disrespect me. So I'm going to ask you to, going to ask you to leave. So, and I didn't know about that. I was never told about that. I didn't, but he literally had my back and the, the trust was reciprocal from very, very early on, you know, that I was like, I, he was like, I was like, I don't know whether this is what you would be okay with. Is this okay? And he was like, no. And I went, okay. <laughs> you know, cause I was like, I don't know. I don't know what's normal. You know, I don't know. Like, um, it came in it maybe the no, 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 no. This I'm telling you, those three together brought a level of carnage that was not ever paralleled. Okay. Even in the level of carnage that you bore witness to, I would say that like it was a shock to my system, and like I said, I was a mess. What they said was right. I was completely <laughs> fucking trashed. They're like, she's fucking on drugs all the time. Like she's just really wasted. Like what are you talking about? Why would you, you know? And John was like, doesn't matter. She works for me. So. Yeah. He brought in, let me know, right behind your head is in the Kelly painting from now many years ago. And yeah, what does it sound like to you, Hannah? Miss you, Berlin, 2012. Oof. Yeah, year oh. one. That was my, that literally would have been, uh, I moved to Berlin in September 2012, so. And then I moved. Mm -hmm. Is it 12? Yeah, it is. Is it 12? I think I... I've got another one in the bathroom that's one of my favourite pieces from... Savadio, still my favorite. I think probably one of my in my all time top five favorites. In terms of always just being impressed with how far he's prepared to push the narrative or the boundary. Amazing. You know, because some people like start and they find their stride and they they stay in their stride, and he's someone that literally from because the story I heard was that Michele was like just skateboarding in London, just being a punk and doing some tattoos, and went and got Spotting. tattooed by Raf at AK London. And got talking to Raf and told Raf some of his work. And Raf actually went to John and went, this kid. I believe that's the story I heard. That's the one. story I And take a fact, right? Because yeah. they were squatting an old, bombed out, uh, well, like a ship, kind of. Yeah. You remember love it. I just love it. With yeah. rats and no yeah. electricity. And yeah. But some of the best. Skipping. Some of the best. Skipping for food. I mean, look at that piece. It's amazing. Look at that print. And, and also the... Because the lineage is there too, because that like creature person thing is mm -hmm. where McKelly was just ending. It was going into the, like the idol thing, and then like when McKelly started doing the, there's actually like 
what a good hybrid of technique and but also like this kind of Italian influence and like yeah. this Renaissance this but then you put that kind of street punk fucking it it's remarkable sitting there next to a Simon Earl as well which is <laughs> there's a lot of fucking great art in this one of Brian Kelly's prints is up there somewhere I've lot I've got a lot of stuff I've got like a whole box of stuff and of things and yeah 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 one of my favorites is from Henrik actually Wait, did I. I have a little tiny piece of tracing paper that has a horse head on it and it just says thanks so much see you next time how I met your mother flash sheet collab Henrik and I've got it tucked in a book or something here somewhere like it was these it's these little mementos from people I know really valued and appreciated my you know input that I've kind of kept around we just drove to the North Sea to see Henrik amazing on the weekend amazing Henrik played to a, a group of like this I they called it it's called the the North Sea Festival or something like Nordfest whatever yeah everyone had grey hair yeah everyone was so grateful yeah it was like like as far as festival goes like you know greasy food you know like it it looked like a festival but it was mm-hmm. so tame and everyone was pleasant yeah <laughs> and no one was out of their minds there was yeah. no pr- prevalence of fluff fests kind of like that actually that's one of the only ones i've been to where you get enough straight edge kids that it's and it's so posy and like you where know is it? um it's in the czech republic but it's a big european kind of cross punk um doom db enclave it's next to a, it's on an airfield next to a swimming pool in high summer so it's super cool because everyone it's like a couple of bucks to pay into this pool outdoor pool and it just gets taken over by like european punks You've uh, been yeah yeah i've been a couple of times yeah uh, it's one of my favorite uh sober memories is um wanting to go to fluff fest and all advice being to the negative do not go to a festival you can't leave if you want to you're going with a bunch of people who will be drinking you know and i was like i'm fucking going i it was a blood moon and I was sat in a field watching Morrow, one of my friends' bands, um, absolutely crush it. Just sat in the grass, meditating. Fucking amazing. So you... So good. This was in the first year? It must have been in year one, yeah. Were, were that yeah. advice is off the... Kind of yeah, but I mean, come on. Like, I, this was always my fucking brand of recovery. Like, I did not get sober to sit in my house and stare at the wall, trying to recapture the glory of days gone by, because that's where the risk for me comes in personally right where I want to go back instead of forwards so understanding that I can still move in certain places or spaces but just as this with this new perspective like actually it's something that made me feel quite powerful it probably was a little bit masochistic and even dangerous but I ran a lot of I went to a lot of the same clubs with a lot of the same people did a lot of the same shit stark raving sober as I like to call it um in that first year and it was incredibly empowering very very important to me to be like i can go where i want and do what i want as long as i don't pick up that's the story not that i go there because i do like flipping that on its head was like i mean i I even heard like yeah i was out you know like yeah yeah yeah. at these things i was everywhere i'm not anymore because i'm tired (laughs) but you also work yeah i'm also fucking older i just turned 36 i was 27 when i moved to berlin i was 31 when i got sober you know i've just been in a global pandemic for two years the idea of running around a nightclub with my nips out yeah you know like in everyone else's secondhand smoke and bullshit doesn't it doesn't appeal to me anymore 
I wonder if that'll ever go away here in a second. No, no, it's the it's part of the spine of this city. It's important, you know. It partly made me who I am and how much it brought me to my knees. But like, um, I definitely uh, hope that people see now and understand that Berlin is multifaceted, and there's a lot of different ways to approach this town. But I'm also someone, if I'm hand on heart honest, I'm thinking about where I go next. You've been on that for a minute. I have, yeah. Yeah, and it's hard because I do this thing where I'm like, am I just on this because it's in my nature to think about what it else it is I can do in my external environment that might, uh, you know, initiate an internal shift. But I've had some awareness for a while. I think that this is not the city that I want to grow old in. You've said that for a while. I know. Yeah. So but that's okay. Yeah, it's this, it, you know, I, I even said to Paul about it. We were having a chat last night and I was like, at 36 in this town, I'm like, I feel invisible. Oh, of course. I feel invisible. Like, it's like... But, and well, that's because it's... Is under you. Exactly. It is a very young city. And, and they spend time doing the things that we don't do. Yeah, exactly. So, but also, I went to Vibali, the sauna, the other day for four hours, oh. had a couple of bottles of water, an iced latte, and ate dinner there, and it was like 60 euros. Yeah, you're not going to get that anywhere else. No, you're not going to get that anywhere else. You're not. I mean, Lisbon, I think, is on the, is on, on the map. Yeah. Sun, sea, yeah, good food, good in contacts brackets, which is the sort of stuff I look at these days. Fair enough. I mean, it's something like I've considered what the last stop on the fucking tour would be. Yeah. And I do believe it's here. Situating myself here feels really good, but the notion that I could surf and just get a little. House. I need. To, I need to be by the sea. I need to be by the sea. I. I. One of the things that really has struck me uh, in the pandemic and. I went to Brighton in August of last year and just standing on the beach, like, I, I, the ocean is super important to me. My mum's the same. If my mum gets landlocked for too long, she gets depressed. And it's, it, I don't know what it is, but I just, there's something about the ocean, the vastness of the ocean, the ability for it to put you back in your body and your place within the grand scheme of things, like that, you know? That's my first higher power. Yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, that's, sponsors like, hey, so we're doing the steps and... Yeah. There's this point, which is now, that you can choose a higher power. It can be fucking anything. Anything, yeah. He's like, well, what could that be for you? I was like, living in New York, and you could surf, which is amazing. I would skate from my house with my surfboard under my arm to the A train and take the A train to the Rockaways, which is a decent distance, but it's super fucking worth it. Yeah. Uh, And surf, and I've been pulled out to ocean surfing a bunch in my life, swimming even. And I was like, Mm. all right, ocean, you know, and Mm -hmm. that turned into the what I believe to be a bit more powerful and a bit more omnipresent is the universe. Yeah. I'm ready to kind of like, I, I'd like the like little cute Victorian terraced house in a seaside town in the UK, you know, where you can walk along a promenade, have my cats. Um, but it's, it's weird. Cause I think we always get preoccupied with like going back and I want to be more focused on yeah, going I forward. Yeah. I that back thing at all. No, I, I, that's the thing. It's like, it's very easy. I think to have rose tinted glasses and obviously I've never lived in the UK as a sober person. So like it, it, it culturally could... very, well also like, let's face it. And what I'm, are meetings? I'm great and quite capable. <laughs> and if you look at what I've managed to do with my little fledgling business in a country where I don't speak the native language, right? In the space that I have, if you put me back with my people in the country where I do speak the native language, when a, a vast majority of what I do is built on my communication skills, banter, let's call it that, right? I think there's a lot of doors that would open for me there that may I may have felt were shut for me before, you know? 
Do you think a small little seaside town would have a meeting you could connect with? Yeah, I think so. I think we're everywhere, aren't we? Well, we are everywhere. Plus right? the fact, like, I'm a Zoom person. Now you... I don't do IRL anymore. Again, too many energies. Way too sensitive now. I'm at a period in my life where going to the supermarket is stressful for me because I'm hyper aware of other people and where they are in their blend. And do you think that's because you've continued to open up channeling being a terrorist? 100%, yeah. And maybe even because you've we've been in corona you've actually chosen not so you just I think like it's everything. nervous system like i'm in the process of trying to know my system nervous system i thought i was trying to regulate it but i realize i'm miles away from that <laughs> i'm just trying to understand what the fuck it is and how it affects my day-to-day at the moment but yeah covid i got very used to being by myself and very independent spell and spent a lot of time on my own and that's a real something i'm really proud of yeah um and obviously a huge reduction in social interaction, making that inordinately more stressful now. But yeah, I do so much work one-to-one, which is based on like authentic connection and the vulnerability that I need to bring to that in order to facilitate or encourage that in someone else, you know? Which is why you have a private space to do that. Totally. But it just means that out there is, I, and it's part of why I'm like, not, I'm not even sure I can be in a city anymore. Because I'm like, oh, if I go to the UK, I'd go to London. I wouldn't last five minutes in London. Because London used to stress me out anyway, you know? Let alone now. No. Yeah. Where every everybody, it's just everything feels very loud. And I find myself, you know, like I've, I've probably got like a trip to the supermarket in me. Um, in the day in the day and then when I come in I'm like that's it I'm done I'm not going out there again so yeah in person meetings the idea of sitting in a room with more than 20 to 30 people at a time makes me feel like actually unwell like I can't I can't I don't know how I've used to do it I don't know let alone half the things I used to do I don't know how I used to do it and I don't know whether I'll ever get it back I'd say I'm probably someone who has been forever changed by this pandemic forever changed hmm. there's no part of me wants to be with more than like I've done four or five people at a time is well, all right, you know. You just went to this show last night to see Puddles. Yes, that's the first time that I've been at a, what I would call a show since COVID. It was the Get Up Kids at SA36 was my last concert. With me? Yeah. That's the last time I've been in a venue with people, with something happening. Yeah, so that was kind of a big deal last night. But I was also really struck, dumbstruck by all the serendipitous threads that were happening last night even with it being Villa Renata and that being somewhere that that's the that's the party I went to before I asked hey I need maybe need some help so literally the night before so who did you ask Paul directly yeah yeah was Paul living here no Paul was visiting and I had my head on the table at aka <laughs> yeah. just open and shop <laughs> and I just said how do you know when you're done and he said honey when you're done you're done so and that was that not my first rodeo, but... <laughs> well, so these cards here, are these are the daily readers? Yes. Is that why they look like they are loved? They are loved to the point that I have already mentally prepared myself for where I would be in the event that perhaps inevitably they get lost at some point. Because it would be such a separation. Yeah. And I don't think there's a tarot practitioner out there that doesn't feel the same way. That's a Rider Waite Smith deck. You can buy one for a tenner and have it delivered tomorrow. They are constantly in print. It's one of the most popular decks in the world. It's it's replaceable in the purest sense of the word. That particular deck has become irreplaceable because it was 
the deck I bought myself in the beginning of 2017. It's the deck that I started pulling single cards from. It's the deck that I gave myself my first, I taught myself my first 10 card cross on my one year anniversary. It's the deck that I first ever read for other people with and it's the deck that I now use every day, every day of my work. And I am, I'm, Alistair Crowley said that furthering your studies of the tarot will only ever take you so far. Because the tarot deck is essentially 78 individuals and you need to live with them, you need to speak with them, and you need to know them. And that's where I'm at with that deck now. In the amount of interaction there has been, and the consistency in that, that even though I know all of the images and the symbols would be the same in a new deck, it would not be my deck, and I would not have the same relationship that has been built with that set of cards. So, but having said that, I also posted a quote on my Instagram today from Arthur Edward Waite that said that is only the toolkit and anything that's happening is being facilitated internally through the practitioner. So, you know, I'm still figuring it all out. On my way here, I was going to get a f- like a f- some flower and I was like, well, what about like a piece of fruit as like an offering? An offer? I love that. I love um, that. Because, I mean, in the end, we have a... The flower is temporal, and we don't necessarily choose to eat them. But in this case, we have these, and we could eat them if we choose to. Oh. But I, I picked it, and it was like a, it's like almost ready. This, I love it. Yeah, it fits well on your beautiful plates. It it's does a fucking well big ass peach. <laughs> it's the biggest peach I've ever seen. Dang. It's like the peach emoji. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. Well, I'm gonna give you a reading, but I also really need the toilet, so I hate to interrupt no, the. That's uh, true. Interrupt the flow here, but Get it. you gotta flow. I'm hydrated. That makes the most. That's the main thing. Well, you're drinking water now, right? I oh, who'd have thought? <laughs> it's about time. Yeah, this of course has to live in the uh, in the bathroom. But Why? should I grab a charger for you? I think it'll be okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> so good, isn't it? <laughs> so good. So oh my gosh! You can't beat Michele. The f- the sort of sense of freedom. Like I learned, if there's one thing among many that I picked up was the sense of the ability to let go and be spontaneous. The little houses, the little demons, the it's the shading for me. I mean, like, it's actually masterful. Has he got an art background? Did he go to art school? Yeah, art school. Yeah, yeah. I love it. 
Do you still have mother shirts? Um, I might have one for you. Well, I'm, I'm not sure. One. I think I'd they're to, out. I'd love to contribute. Because someone the other day was saying that you had a bunch and that they didn't sell, and I thought that to oh. be so surprising. Yeah, I mean, like I'd make something and it not sell. <laughs> well, that's why I was surprised. <laughs> no, that's not true. Actually, I did. Um, Lozzie um, did a tote bag. Uh, did a design for me. It's not the design. The design is amazing. It's the snake holding the card, the hand with the snake wrapped around it. Mm. Um, with Cult Mother in the card banner with the four suits on it. Absolutely love it, but I put it on a tote bag. And the tote bags didn't sell, because tote bags were over. But I'm going to use it on, as a back print on a shirt. going to do a merch run, but maybe at the beginning of next year instead of this year. VAT bracket. Yeah, VAT of course. bracket. Yeah, I yeah. want to be a client into Neymar, and unfortunately Please it's 22k for the year one, I think. So. Oh. It went up, it was 19 at the beginning of, in January of this year, and they put it up. It used to be 17.5. Yeah, then That's it went 19 and now it's 22. Or like 21 and a half. Yeah, but still. I mean, still, yeah. <laughs> I think it's like 50 to 75 in, the, in Ireland and countries like that. This is what I'm saying, right? Freelancing in Germany is trash. The system here is incredibly robust. The social system is amazing. There's so many incredibly positive aspects of living here, but Berlin is a city that claims to embrace the arts and culture. But if you put your income tax at 30% to one side, you make your minimum 18.9% pension contribution, that's 48% of your income before you've paid your own health insurance every month. So yeah, it's very easy for me to say, oh yeah, but my apartment's really cheap. It is, at the 400 I pay for my health insurance, which I'm probably gonna pay more because that was a very conservative estimate. And you're looking at the same expense of living in some of these other cities and places around the world, you know? It's kind of all, it's kind of all party and bullshit. And there is this real rose tinted narrative of like, go to Berlin and live this artist life. And a lot of us have done it, but the way we've done it is by working really hard to make enough money to actually be able to afford it when you have to do it all right on paper, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. So, (laughs) I'm super frustrated that I, you know, I love what I do, but I'm aware that I don't have the capacity, you know, like I'm, it's very normal for me to be like, I'll do eight readings a day and spend eight hours in Zoom. And that's a standard Saturday for me, right? That's the way I will book appointments. And then you're like, this is not sustainable. How can I adjust this? I've made every adjustment I can, but financially it's very, very tough to to be like, well, I'll do less of this, you know? Yeah. It's just as well I love it so much, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, thank fuck. But the burnout's so real, like I literally have to arrange my weeks so there's days where I can't talk to or engage with people anymore. Well, we, had a, we had a date and you're yeah. like, I need to be in the graveyard sitting. Yeah, I, I literally, I walk over to the graveyard at Sojourn and I have to sit still and then, because it's one of the only places I can find something resembling like complete silence. In nature, like in the outside, or that I can ground cemeteries, I find very grounding. I think it's the immediacy of our mortality helps to bring you back to earth a little bit. <laughs> and your last name is Graves. And my last name is Graves. Exactly, it's all just so on brand. <laughs> Who? Uh, so then, how did you do these crazy orange nails? Then, if you're not seeing others, did you do? It? Oh no, I go to the nail place. Okay. Because that's one to one, and it's quiet time. They don't talk to you, they don't ask you questions, and they touch you. And I pay for that. <laughs> it's one of my favourite self-care things. It's my, obviously, my hands are on camera all the time. So having my nails 
fit. I lost my rings, devastation, because that was a real thing as well. My two big signets, my Vivian Westwood signet. You lost it? I lost them at the lake when I was out of my lake house last you time. You didn't. I did, yeah, yeah. Yeah, lost them. Don't know where they went. I guess so. your story told us all about it, but I missed it. No, I didn't actually. That seems like a big yeah. game to lose. Yeah, it was. It was huge. It was huge, but this is what happens when we develop attachments, right? Do you think I it's went out, be there? I went out to the lake underneath a full moon, <laughs> and I was swimming in the water, saying a little prayer to have anything removed from me that was holding me back or wearing me Shut down. the front door. And I put both those signet rings in this basket that I have that I take down to the beach, but other people were putting things in and out, so I think they maybe got like flicked out into the sand. Because I took, got out of the water to take them off to put them somewhere safe. So... But I don't know, bear in mind I bought a Vivian Westwood signet ring that said too fast to live, too young to die, right? Oh, Drunk. Good. And I used to stare at it in meetings. And I've ha- I- I'm have i gutted not to have it anymore, but also what an amazing exercise for me for that to happen and me be like, you just got to let it go. You just got to release it. There's nothing you can do. It's gone. You know? And then I went and bought this opal. <laughs> Because I was like, thank you for making the space. Yeah. Because um, I'd seen this in a in a pawn shop in uh, West Germany and was like, that's 12 diamonds, 12 signs in the Zodiac. And it's fucking ridiculous. I just like to stare at it. It makes me happy. It reminds me that there's beautiful things in the world. So I was like, oh, I'll just have to buy that then. It matches the deck colour as well, the blue. Yeah, it's all completely deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, how many years were you doing the brand? Um, I mean, you have been branding AK for yeah, years, yeah. but then the, totally. when you, a couple of gigs after you were doing uh, around the band, you worked. Yeah, yeah, I was in a tech startup for a couple of years doing the marketing. We, yeah. So, so that. Yeah, but all that, this is the thing, marketing's just the message. It's the message, your brand, and like, and the medium it, with over which you can best convey that message to the person that you most want to hear it. That's all it is. People get so confused when they look at, you know, big scale marketing, advertising, like, but when it comes down to like an individual wanting people to understand and know who they are and what they do, what is it you want to say and why? Who do you want to say it to? What's the best means that, through which you can do that, you know? Mm. I love it. That's always been the most fascinating thing for me. That's why tattooing was interesting to me. What am I saying about who I am, who to, and why? It's all communication. It's all communication. And so if you're someone who doesn't love to communicate, it gets tricky. Yes. (laughs) Well, there's like not loving to communicate, but there's like within, there needs to be parameters and guidelines that over the years I've developed so that people have got to get a better I'm just really glad that mine doesn't have to be the loudest voice in the room anymore it's a great relief to me and I feel like I, that's why I'm ready to rebrand again mm. because I feel like um, cult mother it was exactly where she needed to be and it needed to be like a year ago but after a year the learning that I've had this year the direction my practice is going in I think I'm ready to like I think I'm ready to soften it a little the edges think I'm ready yeah but you know I do this whole thing of my whole brand is the edge it's the authenticity but I'm like yeah but I how authentic was the edge in the first place you know well the edge keeps changing right you're finding the edges yeah totally but I just feel like something just a little cleaner and because it's this whole thing of like you know my whole brand with the creepster font and this whole like DIY punk ethos all the way through it I love it and I stand by it and it's important but it's like my my brand feels like the bathroom at the punk show right now 
and I don't want to read cards in the bathroom at the punk show anymore. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, because you, you flip cards at the universe when we did that four-year, five-year-ago thing, and you flip yeah. cards like yeah. when you were starting to... I'll always want to take Taro into places where people wouldn't necessarily want to see it, and that I've got all the time in the world for the bathroom of the punk rock show. Don't oh, get me sense. wrong, a part, a part of my heart will always be there, but just in where I'm at in my practice and the kind of one-to-one work I want to do and with who, and, like, I feel like there is an opportunity to invite more people to the table by... Well, you are. Yeah. Because yeah. you flipped at Sam's, which was really nice. Yes. At the drag show, that was perfectly matched. I... Perfectly unpractical. No, I mean, I loved it. I've got clients in the States that I met at that show that were here on holiday that I read for on the reg, you know? So, like, um, that is one of those opportunities that forever and i hope that sam and morgan (laughs) uh i've conveyed this enough revolutionized from the outset the way that i work in the direction that i went in because having the opportunity to read in a queer space and to interact with people in a way that really kicked my uh awareness around certain topics themes threads that we work with in taro um became like a huge part of what I wanted to do, why I wanted to do it and why Cult Mother kind of became the the, the platform that it did. Because I was like, this needs to be queer, it needs to be anarchic, it needs to be like, it needs to not be the, and I always use this analogy, but I've got a piece of rose quartz that I love. Um, It's that rose quartz, yoga pants, incense, perfectly spotless white bullshit that I was always, you know, I was like, oh, wow, spiritual practices can really help me not feel like I want to die. Um, oh, I feel like I've always been really shut out of these spaces because I don't feel like I fit in there. I don't feel like they, I, I can align myself with this kind of pe- these kind of people. I don't feel, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, if I feel like that, how many other people feel like that? Okay, so I can't cater to everyone, but I know who I can cater for, me. <laughs> and people who also are into the same things that I am. That's like an emo throwback from the 2000s that still dye in their hair at 36, you know? I was kind of like, the punk kids need this more than any of these fucking middle-class private school I spent my gap year in India kids ever will. Like, let's let's create a space and a place for them, so... Yeah, I'm so, I, but I honestly, being I, I realised very quickly that's one of the first places that I read at volume and in public and it put like a lot of pressure, but it was the kind of pressure that you apply to coal, to carbon to get diamonds. Because every time I would trip on something or like have something come into my awareness or be like there is another or more interesting way to talk about what's being expressed in this card that maybe isn't so heteronormative and like classical that makes it more expansive that can involve more people that creates you know like so yeah i'm so i'm so grateful to have had that experience i'd go back and i will go and read that drag show anytime i'm I'm looking forward to it happening again yeah Yeah. they are happening again they are happening morgan's doing shows like twice a week i think Mm. yeah in different spaces i do something nice about tristeza because it's close to house yeah 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 it's scummy and nice and it only fits so many people yeah totally Intimate, intimate, I guess, is the word. Right, let's do this reading. I'm excited. I've read you Fee before, though, right? Mm-hmm. Once. Yeah, here. And maybe only once. And it was amazing. Do you want me to give you my little yes. introduction to the deck? And talk Please. about it the way that I do with everyone. Okay, so I work with a deck called the Rider Waite Smith. 
created by Arthur Edward Waite and Pamela Pixie Coleman Smith in the early 20th century. Um, this deck is 78 cards, and part of the reason it's still so popular is because Pixie gave us 78 completely unique illustrations. So, for example, my three of pentacles here is not just three coins or discs. I've got figures, they have posture, we have colour, we have symbolism, there's a whole vibe, energy scene in each of these cards. We've got 22 cards in the Major Arcana in the 78 card deck. Uh, the Majors, like our magician here, are the big ones. They are built on ideas, archetypes that we all relate to. They really resonate with us and we connect with them quickly for that reason. So like the lovers, we all have the capacity for intimacy, love, connection. It expresses itself uniquely through each of us, but we know that it's something that we also share. Um, outside of the 22 cards of the major arcana from Arcanum, Secret Knowledge, you have four suits in the minor arcana. Bit of cat hair on my table there. Um, <laughs> just like you do with a deck of playing cards. And the four suits give us wands, passion, enthusiasm, creativity, drive. What really lights me up? This is our fire element. You don't have to remember any of this for your reading. This is just a little warm up. Yeah. Swords, conscious, rationale, reason, logic, and my ability to apply willpower along those lines. We've got pentacles, coins or discs. Where am I focusing my time, energy, and attention? What do I get back from that? This is our earth element. And then we've got... Oh. Our cups, emotions, feelings, dreams, fantasy, everything moving around below the surface and our subconscious, our water element. So roughly we get cups, emotional health or self, pentacles, physical, swords, mental, wands, spiritual. Four okay. elements, four energies, four parts of who we are. And so this is basically the framework that Tarot gives us to check in with to try and get some insight, some guidance, some clarity, some awareness. So... I'm going to sit and give this deck a little shuffle and I want you to take the opportunity to check in with where you are right now. If your head starts to move, where do your thoughts want to take you? If you make some space for those emotions, is there anything particular trying to push through that wants to be heard? How connected do you feel? Where is your energy level at? And as you do that, where is the curiosity? Where is the question now? Usually when I work, I don't ask people to disclose to me what their question is before I put the cards out and I do the reading. I work like that for two reasons. It helps to keep my opinion out of your reading, mm. um, especially if I know you or something about you already. And the second reason, it keeps it infinitely more spooky, which is always my preferred way of, <laughs> of working. Um, but I'd like to make sure that you feel really happy and confident in this idea of like a question for the cards before we start. But you just let me know when you kind of have something in mind. A curiosity. You got it? Yeah, got it. Okay. Right, we're going to go hard. <laughs> Present. Challenge. Past. Future. Conscious, subconscious, advice, outside influence, hope or fear, and our outcome. Now I'm going to rattle through these a little bit quicker than I would in a standard session because it usually takes me 45 minutes to an hour to 
put one of these spreads out. Um, yeah, go for it, please. What's, do you know what's really funny is when I was at the drag show and it was pay what you can, it was literally like flipping cards for tips. I could have done single card pulls or four card spreads very quickly. But every time someone sat down, I put 10 on the table. It's <laughs> <laughs> couldn't resist, but it's also given me like, yeah, it's given me an opportunity to really learn my way around this uh, spread, which is my most popular. Okay, so we're gonna start with your challenge card. Justice from the Major Arcana. Okay, so Justice, we see them sitting here with their sword in their right hand and the scales in the left hand, okay? So it's this idea of knowing where we are, right-hand path, in our knowledge, our wisdom, our rational, logical mind. We're poised and we're ready, but we've also got the scales in the left hand. We bring balance to where we are in our understanding of cause and effect by allowing ourselves to be emotionally, intuitively connected. We're bringing that kind of other knowing or understanding into the mix with our conscious awareness. Justice absolutely in the challenge position does rule, rule the realm of like legal shit. <laughs> a very basic, basic witch level. Justice gives me, you know, divorce, paperwork, having to deal with systems and structures. But part of the message then from this card is as we navigate the inevitable nuts and bolts of where we are in our system and the structures that we exist in, it's important for us to remain in a certain level of detachment and observation, thinking about where we are in our heads as well as our heart to give us the opportunity to not necessarily be reactive. It's not always personal in the energy of justice. It is, like I said, the opportunity to be like cause and effect. If this happening's here, then it's reasonable this would happen here. Right? You could have just done a single pull and that's exactly what I Amazing. Asked. Fantastic. So we're off to a good start. Justice in the challenge. <laughs> Precisely what I asked. Great. And I'm a Libra, but you knew that. I didn't remember that, but that mate brings an added value to this card with the scales and the, the balancing act. Oh, now I'm very excited. Where are we in the present then? Oh, boom. Well, fantastic. Uh, cause and effect and where we are in relation to the world. This is another major arcana card, card 21. This is the final card in the major arcana sequence. Hmm. The major arcana shows us the fool's journey. It's a journey of self-realization. This is the big goal. This is the big aim. This is where we fill the hole in the universe that only we can occupy. These are oh, laurel yeah. wreaths. This is victory. We're vibing out in the four corners of this universe. We are... Four corners of the universe. <laughs> that lands well. Naked, vulnerable. Vulnerable, authentic. Not one, but two magic wands, as we understand now that we are, in fact, the architects of our own destiny. Hmm. This is a very powerful portal to have in the center of this spread. It really, uh, you know, gives us the idea that in the present, you are really opening yourself up to those bigger goals, those bigger aims, and thinking about the culminating place for you on your path. But it's also zero returns to zero. This is pure potential. Because hmm. as we culminate, we begin again. It's all about cycles, beginnings and endings. So you get an incredible ending, but also the opportunity for an amazing opening sitting here in the present as well. But obviously this is now in relation to justice and where we are in our understanding of cause and effect and maybe some of the nuts and bolts of this bigger, more sort of blue sky thinking that's happening in the present. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Great. Ooh. Um, in the past, We've said yes. Eight of wands. I love this. I love this. Um, 
One of the only cards in the deck that doesn't give us a figure or a character to relate to, very similar to the Wheel of Fortune. It's speaking to this idea of circumstances or energy that's just in motion, that's there for us to tap into. I sometimes call the Eight of Wands my kind of loving kick up the arse from the universe card. Because we say yes, we are excited, we are motivated, we tap into this creativity, this growth potential. Imagine releasing an arrow just to see where it lands, being able to feel the wind beneath your wings, motivated, lifted, excited. Um, I would probably stretch here already to saying that this is, when we look at the past card, we're trying to determine whether or not we're being alerted to this because it's ready to let this go or whether or not we're having a little reminder of this because it's pertinent or important for us to bring it with us. Now, interestingly, I'm a massive Eight of Wands fan because I love all of the hot heat that this brings, this kind of drive. I'm wondering though whether or not this might be a little bit of a heads up from the past because we are actually ready to leave that in the past. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I think it's that this, this energy has brought us to a point let me look at where we are in the future. Yeah, do it. Yeah. <laughs> future placement where we could be headed based on where we're at now. Can we have a motherfucking moment to notice that... What is this figure holding in their hand? The world. Thank you. Right. <laughs> the two of wands, this figure holds the world in their hands because they are now very focused and clear in this realm about this big goal, this big aim, right? They stand between these two wands. They're opening up this gateway, this opportunity for us to really think about how we go out there and get that and make that happen. This is the top of a tower. There's a certain sense of security or stability here where these wands are now tethered, where it would involve us stepping out from this place of comfort in order to fully embrace this big goal or this big aim. It's a two, it's an opening, it's a gateway, it's an opportunity. For me, what we've got here is like, we say yes, we go for it, we've got all this drive, we've got all this motivation, and I love that, but it's very hot, it's quite loud. There's an intensity here that I think we're kind of moving into opening up to a different kind of potential that's more in line with kind of where you are in these bigger goals, bigger aims, bigger themes. And so moving into the future, we stand perfectly poised to really embrace that but it's new, it's fresh, it's different to the way we were doing it in the past. But it's all still creativity. It's all still in this realm of the wands and where it is we're activated and really excited. Feels very affirming so far. Excellent. Yeah, it looks like the weather's on the Conscious awareness, where am I? Where is my head at? Yes, you are wands all the way. The lovers. Of course, the lovers isn't what it seems to be, though, right? No. Not for me, but we'll get there. First, let's talk about the Ace of Wands that we have in our uh, conscious awareness. What's the new project? What's the new plan? Uh, realizing where I'm actually at. So like, being... Like, the... Do you really mean what the... Yeah, like, the, yeah. the studio. I mean, yeah. like the new, new one is, I guess, this painting thing. Yeah. But this new one where I realize, ah, oh, the thing that's working that's, like, the most secure and safe feeling is just actually being the person at the studio who's being a mentor and has, yeah. have, like, a number of residents around that are this cultivating of passing on what I can do and not phasing out of tattooing, but mm -hmm. holding space for people. Mm-hmm. 
Is there any other, like, project on the periphery at the moment in terms of, like... Well, universe, I suppose. Because the ace of wands for me is this. This is the matchstick. Yeah. This is where we're presented with the opportunity to have a new experience or a new adventure in the energy of this suit. So we have yeah. the world brings us to this lovely culminating place. Yeah. Right? It brings us, you know, like I said, these big goals, these big uh, objectives. But as we sit in it, we open up to what's new. And for me, in the conscious awareness, we have this idea of how can I be receptive to what I'm being offered yeah. in terms of a new growth experience, a new opportunity, and it is totally in this creative energy. Look, I've got Ace of Wands into Two of Wands. Well, I wonder, because, you know, this made me feel like, uh, this was like, do I tell you what they are? Yeah, yeah, the great phrase. This feels yeah. like how to stay in Germany. Mm-hmm. And all the totally, 100%, and all yeah. This was like, kind of like universe, um, not the space, but the, this feels personal, like mm-hmm. being comfortable, me being me, feeling that yeah. God's, God's shape, shaped hole that I, I put a lot of time into in a positive, healthy way now. But these feel like you were talking about universe, like this old thing that I was doing in a very dysfunctional way that I gave a big break to, and now do in this really like sustainable way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's not the studio, mm-hmm. but the clothing thing. Mm-hmm. And then I'm interested because I asked you about relationship dynamic, mm-hmm. but this also kind of lends itself to like the way it was didn't work and then now we took four years off and now it feels really jamming like easy chill because andrew and i were hanging out mm. in the last six months amazing after having a four-year break yeah let's talk about this yeah, i'd like to hear what you say especially about. if we're coming to my relationship dynamics <laughs> um lovers for me in the subconscious is lovely it's a really it is just a really lovely energy key six we see the sun it's very vibrant we've got this uh nod at the kind of divinity higher consciousness higher power so let's talk about these figures um we've all got feminine and masculine energy yeah. Feminine masculine energy, working with Tara, absolutely nothing to do with gender binaries, right? Yeah. Masculine energy, we want to go do it, we want to go get it, we're very outward focused and goal oriented. Feminine energy is not passive to the active masculine principle, but it is receptive. The power is in the pause, it's in the connection, it's in the listening, it's mm. in the wider awareness. The masculine looks to the feminine, the feminine looks to the divine. So it's this idea that in order to be active and in our full understanding of what it is we're doing or out there trying to achieve, we have to be in direct contact with this part of us that's listening to the bit of us that wants what's best for us. Yeah, right. I sometimes call this the RuPaul's Drag Race card. Yeah, it really feels like the middle of the road. You've got to love yourself. How the hell are you going to love someone else until you can love yourself? We have to be driving from a place of healthy self-awareness, self-love, self-esteem, because the lovers for me becomes a card about how we make choices how we, what direction we choose, high road or the low road, depending on who's in the driving seat. And in this yeah. card, it's important that this idea of some sort of awareness of the universe, this consciousness, this knowing that we have an access to is fully seen and acknowledged. Yeah. Um, obviously, we do also in The Lovers have that card of who we are as we explore intimacy, sex, love, relationships. And there's that real need to understand these different parts of who we are, the space that we can give to that and the vulnerability that we get in these figures as well. Yeah. being open and, and expressive and receptive it's all about give and take I like it so far me too it's a very very vibrant spread lots of wands um, advice what is the advice oh down in the five of cups this I think is actually really lovely um, the fives all represent kind of like a point of conflict or challenge 
um, and usually it becomes pivotal to us in our progress at the midpoint of the suit. This is loss, this is grief. The spilled cups here are absolutely unmet expectations, disappointments, places where we feel emotionally drained, lost, overwhelmed. Um, this figure, I always, first thing I notice in this card is the amount of dignity and strength that there is in this figure's ability to stand there, shoulders back, head bowed, and actively look at and acknowledge where they are in relationship to this. Yeah, right. We do have these two cups that remain upright, and whether we're aware of it or not, as we can get kind of swallowed up in the energy of this card at times, this is kind of the essence of who we are, our ability to know ourselves and others, and it remains upright regardless. It's never truly taken from us, whether or not we can mm. see it. Um, it does get a little bit stodgy down here in the energy of this card, but as people, as we know, the advice quite often is let's be willing to look at uh, where it is we're feeling the lack or the loss or the harm or the hurt at this deeper, more emotional level, because it's actually gonna become instructional and important and helpful in working out what it means to have the cup full, to have it upright, to be able to have that there to lean into, you know? So the advice here for me in the Five of Cups would be like, let's spend the time that we need to looking at where we are emotionally and understanding where it is that we carry this potential kind of like heaviness or hurt, because it will help us as we move forward. Sounds like a particular Monday night meeting for me. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't feel like this is an energy that you're unfamiliar with, <laughs> importantly. Um, but yeah, uh, very happy to report. Where are we headed here? Look oh, at that. Sexy. Looks, looks very nice. Very sexy. Um, the energy sitting in the outside influence placement is an energy that's there for us. It's accessible to us. We just need a heads up about it. We just need to know about it. This is great. The Nine of Pentacles. One thing I love about this figure is that they stand here and they are open. But they're open but still holding a boundary. It's a card that kind of says, I know my value and I know my worth. And if you want to come up in here into this garden that I've worked so hard in, then you're going to be needing to bring something of value and absolutely do not dare to fuck me about. Yeah. We have got this bird of prey. We've got the more flighty part of our nature subdued and under control. This is a hard work, discipline and sacrifice card. Like it takes effort and patience, little tiny snail here, to get here. It's important in the energy of the Nine of Pentacles that we take time to actively enjoy everything we're working so hard for. Yeah. Um, but for me, this is just a lot of abundance and a lot of ability to kind of reap what we sow and be aware and grateful for that and also hold boundaries around that sitting here in our, where we are in the outside influence. Does that make sense? It does. Very strong. Um, hope or fear, moving up here to the Knight of Pentacles now. I, mm, I've got a lot of movement in here. And I know I, I'm not trying to obviously question you or contradict you and where you know you're at. But, oh, whether or not I know, I know it. But the, here's the thing, like the Knight of Pentacles for me, this is hope or fear, remember, and it can be both. We can be afraid of the thing we hope for most. The Knight of Pentacles is saddled up. I feel every, every almost, almost five times a week, I dream that I'm living somewhere else. Right? This, this knight is saddled up. They're on the horse. This knight is the only one whose horse has all four feet on the ground. Right? Okay. They're not in a rush. They're not charging anywhere. They're, they're all going into battle, the next phase, the next chapter, embracing uncertainty. Right? Yeah. We're wearing a suit of armor. We're covered. We're protected. A oak leaves from tiny acorns grow mighty oaks. It's about investing, planting our seed, 
growing and developing that to fruition. This knight, though, is a little bit reluctant to go sometimes. They dig their heels in. They don't want to move forward. They don't, they don't want to invest the energy, the effort, unless they know it's going to pay off for them. So it gets a little bit risk-averse, hmm. which, you know, we can't blame them for. But there's a lot of yellow here. It's a lot of potential, a lot of positivity, but it's about whether we're prepared to embrace the unknown in order to properly embrace that. It feels like a Larry thing. <laughs> well... Um, uh, definitely for me, Knight of Pentacles in the fear placement of this, uh, could be, you know, I'm a little bit afraid to now venture into the uncertainty because of the amount of stability that I have in the present, but there could also be hope that regardless of how much stability I have in the present, I'm still prepared to wander into unknown waters simply to see what I might find there, yeah. you know? I like it. I like the yin and yang of that one. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a really good. It's a really good energy. It's a great card. Uh, and up here in the outcome, I have our Empress. I feel like I've pulled this card for you before. I feel like I remember the beautiful Venus. Yeah. Yeah, symbol. She's obviously one half of the feminine archetype in the Major Arcana, paired with our High Priestess. So giving me very grounded very receptive, a lot of abundance, the river flows to the Empress, we're not chasing shit, we're allowing it to come to us. Um, there's an element of luxury present in this card, these kind of velvet cushions that give us comfort. It's really permission to enjoy life, simple pleasures. We're wiggling our toes in the grass, we're feeling the sun on our face, 12 stars at the crown, 12 stars in the zodiac, um, we're connected to the universe. <laughs> Uh, you know, to the to the world around us, to nature. Um, it's a really, really lovely card. It's a lot to do with what we kind of give birth to and the full consciousness and our full and whole present awareness. It's very, very powerful. But also very, very settled, very comfy, like I said, which I, which I kind of comfy. enjoy. Very comfy, yeah. It's a straight in your crown. Remember who you are. Again, a big, big themes of knowing our value and our worth coming through here with the Nine of Pentacles and the Empress. I'm going to come back to this, though. Whether we are wholly aware of it at the moment, I really feel like we had a lot of drive or momentum to do something. Where we're at is great, but it is also an end phase. There is a little spark here in the awareness of something different, something new. And for me, maybe it's because I know you and I'm projecting here. This would be like creative. It's that I'm going to take a hold of something. I'm going to run with it. I'm going to see where, it, you know, it's like I'm feeling that fire and that excitement here. And I think then here is us, this contemplative moment that's very important to think about. How do I marry where I'm at already and what I have with the introduction of this new aspect or this new kind of spark that we've got coming through here? I think you're very well positioned subconsciously to have the awareness that you need to be receptive to that. Um, so did you say you asked about relationships specifically? Yeah, that was an aspect for sure. Yeah. Which ties into... Totally. Being able to detach and observe and not be completely emotionally reactive. Which I feel that way. Which is mm -hmm. unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this would definitely be like a lot of fire and a lot of impulsivity perhaps in the, in the past. Yes, or my... Yeah, being receptive more to what we're handed rather than feeling we have to generate this kind of energy or momentum I think is important as well. Um, this is super, super lovely sitting here in the centre, but I'm very interested to see what, as this is an end phase, it would then open us up to, you know, especially right. in alignment with where we're at in this ace in the conscious. Very solid, very stable up this side. With this yellow coming through these pentacles cards, it's like right now we can ground in 
we know our value and our worth. We're protective of that. We're holding boundaries here. Um, but we still want to be able to have adventures, right? We still want to have an adventure. There's still a major adventure here for me. Um, oh, I love it. But yeah, Vice obviously is still looking at this idea of my cups, what fills my cup, what I've lost, what impact that has now on where I am in relationship to this energy, this realm, emotional, subconscious. Also, though, you know, we get our feelings in our cups, our emotions, but also our imagination, dream, fantasy, and our capacity for that. And I'm almost wondering whether or not there's a little bit of an opportunity in the advice of this card with the sparky offering that is the these are the reset buttons the aces in the deck they bring a refreshing rejuvenating energy into the mix i'm wondering if there's a bit of these are pinging a little bit for me the bit of a relationship here between possibly being open and receptive mentally yeah and the advice is is getting back into more not just emotions or feelings but the the dream the fantasy the outrageous ambition like because this is all big goals and objectives like big stuff I mean, I pulled back, and I'm so grateful that I did. Like, I'm trying yeah. to get rid of the like, GmbH and this kind of stuff. Yeah. Just, just like bureaucratically, just. But I think you know. Yeah. You, totally. you, I know. I remember you were looking into it yourself. Yeah. All the different destinations you can have in this country, but just you know, simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I when I say I dream about being moving, it's actually that I dream about being in other places, not that I move there. And and yeah. I, I wonder to myself how often these are places I've actually. Ex- been mm. you know in my mm. life and just because of the the life as a particular as a young person mm. until recovery uh well the, was... eight, the eight of wands also gives us travel because it's literally moving us from one place to another it can be big internal shifts as well but like in your dreams are you here or are you everywhere else because i'm always everywhere else i'm always everywhere else but i've just taken that to be part and parcel of where i'm at in my reluctance to be in the present <laughs> yeah because generally we are the people that we are we are projections of us yeah but i also think this is the really important thing to remember with the concept of humility right and gratitude is that there's something integrally built into our systems and structures as people living in a society and under capitalism that is used against us in the same realm and in the same thread I've got an apartment here, I've got food in the fridge, I get, I work and I've got money, I should be happy, right? This whole idea of I, I should just be grateful for what I have is great until the point it clips your wings and it stops you actually stepping into the wholeness of your potential. Because you go, well actually I'd like to do this and I'd like to do that. And you go, oh well yeah, but that's just crazy alcoholic thinking. Maybe it's not. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe it's not. Maybe reach for the fucking stars. And if you get bored of where you're at, it's not that you're an ungrateful, unwell alcoholic. It's that you are nowhere near fulfilling your full potential, which is limitless because you have a universe inside you. So like, you know, it's this whole thing of like, oh, well, they're clearly doing a geographic. Fuck you. What do you know? It's none of your business. If it's always been someone's dream to move halfway around the world and they decide with six months of recovery to do that, give them a round of applause. That's courageous and it's brave, especially in a world that tells us that putting down roots and having that kind of stability and safety is the most important aspect of living a full life. Absolutely. Not at all. Don't think so. (laughs) So I'd literally like, it's really tough sometimes for me because it comes up a lot with the people I work with. People that aren't in recovery, like this isn't their framework, where they're like, they're like, oh, I just feel really stuck. I feel really frustrated. 
I feel upset that this is a aspect to myself I'm not exploring or developing. I feel like I should be doing this and I'm not. And they go, and then they pull right back. You see them pull, step out of it and they go, but really, I guess I should just stop complaining and be grateful. And you go, Conditioning. Oh, it's, yeah, it is. It's such a kicker. It's because gratitude as a practice is obviously so helpful, but not if it puts you inside of your own self-imposed limits as to what it is you value or deserve. And maybe not for that matter, self-imposed. Yeah, it's just, and it's not exactly, this is what I'm saying. We live in a system that goes, have you got a roof over your head? Have you got food? We live in a world where there's so much inequality that we do, you know, it's very easy for people like me and my privilege, and I have to recognise it and acknowledge it absolutely to be like, you've got nothing to complain about. Yeah, but if there is an ache in your soul that tells you that you need to go see the sea, then go. That doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong with you or that you're ungrateful for what you've got. It should be the, the foundation, the jumping off point for expansion rather than the thing that keeps you you know locked in and unhappy because that's just not what any of us want to do right because i find myself doing it i'm like oh yeah but why can't you just be where you're at and i'm like because maybe none of us maybe we're all supposed to have a lot of different lives and a lot of different experiences and keep moving and growing and changing and that, that that's the thing you know so it's one or the other i don't know if it's one or the other but mm. the extremes between the two the gray space is huge in between. Mm, totally. But this is the thing. COVID fucked it completely. Like this is, you know, let's face it. If I'd done, uh, I went off to Prague in I think July of last year because I, I had things on my bucket list. I wanted to go see the ossuary there and I did that. Then, and now it's like the environment we're in now, there's still so many places I want to do and things I want to do. I want to go to the happy cemetery in Romania and, you know, but I'm not doing any of those things because of mm. Corona. I'm not going to go do an impromptu trip to London or, Probably right now so and i think it's those things in the interim that help to provide that like push and pull in terms of where your level of comfort or gratitude mm. or whatever is you know i mean defaulting to this gratitude isn't the worst thing because like that consciousness is shifting where people are like mm. willing to i don't know if it's like the idea of being right sized you know, yeah yeah totally within totally. recovery for sure but i think it like it also kind of it ripples out into other folks like when yeah, but I mean, I don't really, I don't want to get too into it, but there's a lot wrong with 12-step recovery as well, in the way that it's sometimes applied or interpreted. And this is the important thing, is to stick to the fucking book, <laughs> right? For me, I'm a very, like, in the way that I'm sponsored, in the way that I'm in my recovery now, it's like this whole thing that's perpetuated of, like, you know, when I hear people in rooms that have got fucking years going, like, oh, I just have to remember I'm sick, and that I've got a disease that lives in my mind. And I'm like, step two, I came to believe that a power greater than me would restore me to sanity. If you don't feel that you can be restored to sanity, then where's your second step? What 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 are the promises tell us? You know, it's kind of like, so I'm just like, step 11 tells us I, I can employ my mental faculties with, insu with assurance as long as I'm prepared to operate under these lines. I let God discipline me in the way that we've just outlined. You know, so I'm like, perpetuating the things like I can't trust my mind I can't trust I'm going to pathologize if I want to go here or I want to do that under the framework of is it being driven by my sickness I'm like I don't think that was ever what it was supposed to be about you know it's like that whole I can only practice the first half of the first step perfectly am I drunk no great live my life <laughs> that's it that's it that's really it but 
I, like I said, a lot of this comes from I realise that yeah, I work much. with a lot of people all the time, day in, day out, who deal with a lot of the same problems and asking a lot of the same questions and floundering around in exactly the same way. Yeah. And I wish they had the same toolkit. I really yeah, do. Yeah, Totally, totally. But I'm also kind of like, I think sometimes, uh, it's like the devil card in the Major Arcana. Which I saw. Right? A lot of people, when they work with that card, it's about escaping the devil so the tower can come down. You know, taking action to release ourselves, to remove ourselves from this place. For me, in a lot of the work I do and my relationship with these cards changes all the time, we embrace that. That's when the tower comes down. We are limited in our humanity. The kind of spiritual perspective that the High Priestess represents sat on the full cube of conscious awareness is not available to us in this experience. The devil represents the fact that we will always have base drives and desires and behaviours that will be present, that we turn to, that comfort ourselves and keep us in the dark because that's the very nature of the human experience. And the minute we embrace that, then the lightning strikes the crown, the tower comes down and we get access to the celestial part of the major arcana. Then comes hope because I just know it and embrace it. That's humility. It's acceptance. I'm never going to I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to sit on my full cube of awareness, completely connected, conscious subconscious, intuitively guided at all times. It would be a waste of my life <laughs> if that's where I wanted to end up. I had to, can, can I be prepared to walk towards it day in, day out to practice as much connection to, to that realm as, as I can? Absolutely. But for me, the devil and that energy is like, hey, the compassion we practice in our awareness that our, is limited is, is the key. How do you feel about the daily reprieve? Do you believe in that? Yeah, totally. Yeah. But also the idea that it's conditional on me behaving myself and doing yeah. certain things. You know? It's kind of like, wow, you know, God loves me and that love is limitless and my higher power wants me to be happy and well and functional in the world, but you're going to need to do X, Y, and Z. But then this is where it comes undone. If it's X, Y, and Z as, a, as applied by the people who tell you that you should go to X number of meetings or have X number of sponsees, it, it's not in the book, right? The daily reprieve reprieve based on the conditions or the, the suggestions we've just outlined is the steps. Am I working the steps? Then I get my data approved. Then I'm very unlikely to want to tap out by drinking a pint of tequila. So, you know. Wait, I bought this big jug of hand cleaner the other day. Oh my from, god, from you went like. Look, 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 look. <laughs> oh my gosh. But the, I've had it for a while because it was a huge one. And mm -hmm. it was like, there was a point where it was hard to get all that kind of cleaning stuff. So I found it at Teddy. Just walking by Teddy, he's like, oh, it looks like the hand cleaner. It was like a two liter jug or more, four liter. And Nine's been visiting, and I put it in Nine's hand to clean Nine's hands, and Nine's like, oh! And I was like, what? Because it smelled bad to me, but he's like, it smells like tequila. Yeah, yeah, it's really bad. Like, I some think of uh, some so of the shops, bad. when you go in there, it's just so alcohol. It's like got such a high alcohol content that it's like, Ugh! talk about we will recoil from it as if from a hot flame. It, like, makes me feel really ill. Yeah. Yeah. And so. then I was like, ooh, like, then it hit me, and I was like, oh, that, I didn't... It's very liquid. It's those ones that aren't so gel-based and are way more liquid, and it's just, like, really, like... But people will drink it. That's a thing. Yeah, there's been there's been relapsing of drinking of the hand sanitizer going on all over the show. So, <laughs> Fuck. I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> it's the relief, I'm sure. <laughs> we, well, your own relief from not being someone who needs that. Exactly. exactly. Today. Yeah. Today. Dude, thank you so much. This JFT. Was a, this was a total treat. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're so welcome.
My teeth are floating. Yeah, it's good, huh? I'm, I'm so glad I get to see this every day. It marries well with the way in which your life has continued to develop. I mean, look, when you discover that authentic human connection is the only real drug worth doing, and then you can facilitate like a lifestyle whereby you get to do that with different people day in, day out, and you don't even know who that person's going to be until you log into that Zoom room to share that space with them. And then you know that they're hopefully taking that experience into the world with them. Well, yeah, but it's also the fact that that's also out of my control, you know, like... Who that person is. Yeah, who that, but how they respond, how they choose to integrate anything that I've said, what it is that they take from it, it's nothing to do... You know, like, that's where my, that's where my role ends. You know, I can only... I only turn up in that space. Um, one thing that I do encourage, that I think a lot of practitioners... And, and one thing I always say with Tara is that respect for other people's practices is hugely important. Just because people do things or have a perspective that I don't doesn't make it incorrect, you know, because we don't have an authority. There is no one to tell you that you're right or wrong. So it's very, it's one thing I really love about it. It's very punk. But the, here's the thing. There's a lot of people that are like, what lengths do you go to to make sure that you're not developing an emotional connection, right? It's very important. As a practitioner, I've got to stay in my chair. Something I'm hugely aware of. I'm not just projecting or trauma dumping or like, can you imagine? Um, but... If there's one thing I've learned is that there's something very potent in being able to speak from a place of experience and do it honestly and authentically. And so I will often try to help illustrate the potential meaning or relevance of a card by bringing my personal experience into the blend. So if I do form an emotional connection throughout the duration of a reading, it's my responsibility to then create a boundary and to cut a tie and come out energetically from that. But it's something that's like 100% a part of my practice. Because I actually wouldn't know how to do it any other way. And there's a lot of people out there that would criticise me for that and be like, well, there's a problem. You know, if you're bringing yourself and your experience and your emotion into your practice, then maybe that's not a clean practice. It's not fair on, you know, it's not what you should be doing. I'm like, I wouldn't know how to do it any other way. I mean, yeah, being a blank canvas would be, I don't know, difficult, no? Yeah, exactly. I'm human. Yeah. I'm a practitioner. I'm a Tara practitioner, but I'm a human first. And it's my humanity that led me to Tara. It's a story of who we are as humans. So who, how you turn up in a space and talk about these cards and the themes that they raise. The focus has always got to be on the individual and their capacity and space to reflect and identify uniquely to them and their experience first. That's the important thing. That who I am doesn't come in and overwhelm their opportunity. To, I'm facilitating their experience with their cards by talking to them about, as you've just heard me and seen me do, some of the symbolism, you know, and they, it, you, you've experienced it. It's like flicking a pinball. It's going to light up a certain part of who they are and, and, you know, what they see there or find there or, you know, there's how they choose to work with that's up to them. But, yeah, I, 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 it's not like I pride myself on it. It's something I look at and I'm also prepared to change in all the time is that this, this idea of who I am and my experience is, is woven through my practice. You nearly tattooed. Oh, as that's a, something I think about quite a lot yeah, recently. Only recently. Kind of my, yeah. something I reflected on, because I remember showing you mm. how to do it. And, uh, I've got those tattoos on my thigh. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> it seemed like you were really nearly allowing yourself to do that. Yeah. So when and if ever yeah. you need anything. I love you. Oh, you just let me know. Yeah.
No, it's crazy. Uh, I think because of when we talk about growing up in tattooing or having a certain perspective of tattooing, it was always that thing where I, I was of that era where tattooers were great artists and custom work was like fun. And, you know, you, uh, people come in and you go like, I want a teapot with this bird and like, and I've watched people sit there and draw these crazy, amazing things. You know, like Kelly is someone that I... Um, got to work with a lot, you know, and you watch watch her tattoo and now no fucking stencil back piece the movement the lines the artistic awareness I'm I am a great believer that I think a lot of people have that inherently You know Definitely. to train and I'm like I'm like is it that I never had the talent or is it that I never had the tenacity? Is it that I never had the consistency like Tara is the first practice that I've ever had where I did something daily Until I got real good at it, but when I look back it was never deliberate Except for staying sober a day at a time. Yeah, there's that. There's that. But that's, that's like the, but then again, you know, it even talks about that in 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 you know our literature. We we did it because we had to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our creative practices, our you know our our passions. You know, it's like I'm that person that wants to play guitar, but I'll buy a guitar and I'll pick it up and it's too hard and I put it down again. I've never had. If I'm like I can't be real good at this real quick. This is the only thing where consistently day by day over time. It was there, and then I went, oh my god, and I looked back, and then I built a real relationship with these cards. Yeah. But it's because I didn't set out to do it with any reason, and I'd never be able to take my ego away enough to do that with tattooing. Yeah, right, because you've been involved for so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These different relationships to it via... Yeah. I feel a lot of it seemed very painful. Yeah, definitely, but I'm wondering if part of that pain was consistently being in a space where other people were doing what I wanted to do, but I wasn't able to admit that to myself, and I was busy facilitating in other people all the time. That's exactly right. I've done the artist's way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also sat with you in a studio for a couple of years, and I know exactly the the look on on someone's face where they've come in for something deep down. Yeah. But... Yeah, we're just being... But also, I do I do also believe that there are certain people who lend themselves phenomenally well to the role of tattoo shop manager, and you um, unfortunately almost have to have that yearning and that love and that appreciation of, of, the, of the artwork and the craft and the trade kind of aspect, but not want to do it yourself. It's the only thing that keeps you in the fucking role, is the fact that... You need to let a haystack to find that person. Well, you? yeah, totally, but it's like you get to be adjacent to it, you... You can I could I'm at a point where like I could hear people's machines and tell whether they were running too high or not, you know, like that and that I lo- and I love that, but I also don't necessarily doesn't necessarily mean I'd want to have been the person sat there under that kind of pressure day in day out, you know. I mean that's the thing. Yeah, but this is it's like piercing. I Gabby was saying to me the other day, would you come back? Like, would you do piercing? Is that something you've thought about? And I'm like, you couldn't pay me all the money in the fucking. Well, you probably could because you can pay me to do anything these days. I'm a massive sellout. I love money. I love it. Um, <laughs> but uh, you I mean security. <laughs> yeah, I love. I do. I no. I've changed my relationship with money. I've had to examine my relationship with money outside of capitalism. I've realised you can hate capitalism and love money. Sure. You know, which was revolutionary for me and my ability to build my business. So, because there's a lot of people holding themselves back and not doing shit. Well, it's you not do it cool. for you. You do it the way you want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You negotiate that. Yeah, I do. I do. Dude, I do. thank you. You're so welcome. I love it. You went for a wee, and I was like, I should, but like, I'm go. Not, and now it's over. Get it. Get it. Yeah, and then I've Dude. got to wrap it up because I've got thank a call so with much. my call with my sponsor.